we started losing clan we started losing more money and we we're losing all that money and all the overhead costs we had we couldn't afford it so the, the, the only next plan was was to close down and then that honestly made the relationship with my partner even more still because now money became an issue is well i'm sitting there like well i've got to use the rest of the money in the bank account to pay the rent hey web flailers welcome to episode 33 of web flail today's guest is carter ogansola now you might have come across this guy on twitter he's very active on there or maybe you've come across him in the flow party he does a lot of interesting things in the community and he's only 22 he's an independent digital designer and developer based in utah and he's currently got three awards for different award websites one css design award and a feature on muesli so you know at 22 he's doing all right he's an adjunct professor as well in design at utah tech which he does part-time and he's worked with Joseph Berry, Melissa Mendez, many others in the community. So he's doing really, really well. He's a pro in the game, and I'm very, very excited to interview him about starting OG Creative and then closing OG Creative, which is one of the failures that we're going to talk about today. We're also going to be talking about closing shop on another agency because things didn't quite work out there. And we're going to talk about work-life balance because uh, he is someone that is very keen on setting boundaries as you're about to hear so embrace and learn from failure in episode 33 of webflow with carter ogansola carter welcome to webflow thank you very much i think that was the best intro i've ever heard but you know something related to me so thank you very much jack i'm more than excited to be you know on your on your podcast and sort of like you know to talk about my story have a chat with you talk about webflow you know just talk about everything yeah i am very excited to have you here and and like i said your work is is definitely very different from a lot of the people that are maybe 22 years old starting out but it, you mm-hmm. seem to have quite like a mature design aesthetic i want to dig into that to start with because if anyone's listening and it's like I actually don't really know who Carter's, Carter is or what his work is. Mm-hmm. Go check out his website. It's wild. But what is how, how did you learn what you've learned? And tell us a little bit about your background in design. Okay, so my background in design, I'll kind of like give a backstory. I think that's probably the best way to explain it is um, I was in college, started going to college in 2017. And I actually started off as a computer science major. So I was taking all of the crazy coding classes. I was learning Python and all this other stuff. And honestly, I was just having a very like, it was, I was having a block all the time was this really just doesn't make sense to me the way it was presented to me, right? The way all of those, you know, topics were being taught to me just didn't make sense. So I spoke to my advisors at the college and they're like, well, maybe you can try the design and maybe go for graphic design instead. Cause I've always wanted to be an architect as a kid I don't know I, I mean I'm still sort of as a designer right now but I always wanted to be an architect so I changed my major from computer science to graphic design and then one of my graphic design professors which is now my colleague as an adjunct professor funny how that how that worked out um her name's Rachel Ramsey Rachel kind of like pulled me aside when they was like dude I see you've got sort of like an eye more than just graphic design you like actually doing more creative stuff, breaking stuff up, putting stuff together, maybe you veer off to doing 
digital design and sort of like some interaction or interface design. So then that switched my major to where I was doing graphic design and then a little bit of interaction design where I would take maybe an Arduino chip. I don't know if you know what that is. It's kind of like a microchip and maybe make a sensor that says whenever someone opens a door, send some information to my phone and you actually add to like design the product, 3D print it, code it as well, and then push it live through some sort of website or whatnot. That way it all worked and connected together. So that was really interesting. In my senior project, that was when I actually got introduced into Webflow. But one thing that really, really stood out in the middle of all of this was I was easily able to recognize the difference between good work, bad work, and great work. And I think that was probably, you know, one thing that really benefited me was really even being able to recognize, all right, this is good, this is great, this is bad. Now, where do you want to be on that spectrum? And I'm by no means great yet, but that's definitely one thing I hope to achieve. And it's just really, really like taking a look at all these great people, really understanding their process and learning from them and, you know, try to use them as a source for my own legacy as well. Right. So you started off going down the developer path, then you were like, Let's take a look at the design path. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Rachel was seriously in- influential to re- recognize that there was, you know, you needed some of both to mm-hmm. actually kind of fulfill your creative p- potential to some extent. And now your colleagues with Rachel, that's crazy. So <laughs> you are an adjunct professor. For anyone that hasn't heard that phrase before, what does that mean? Uh, being adjunct is instead of you being like a full-fledged, because usually if you're a full-fledged professor, right, a full-fledged professor, you usually would have to do like a 10-year long-term or sort of like contract, I guess. But as an adjunct, I'm a part-time and I only teach like a limited amount of credits, which is usually like you can't teach more than nine to 12 credits as an adjunct, which ends up being like three to four classes that you teach as an adjunct professor. But pretty much you still own your classes. I've helped rewrite some syllabus as well. And what's funny is um, as an adjunct as well, I helped in the transition of the college establishing like the design department and then creating a new class, which is called Web for Designers, where we teach no code, which is pretty much one of the classes I teach and you know fully focus on as an adjunct. That's so cool. So I'm really, really glad to hear that no code is being taught at colleges because I think there seems to be a little bit of a gap between where education is at versus you know, the potential of what you can do in the real world and just closing mm-hmm. that gap, right? After graduation, you know, they reached out to me like, hey, dude, da, 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 you want to teach and, and whatnot. And I, I think the reason for that is they, you know, kind of like understood what the space was since I was already doing design and in sort of like the Webflow community doing client work in the no code. They really saw me as someone that understood, you know, that department and they felt really, really comfortable with hiring me to come teach in that position. I already started my agency while I was in college, which we're going to talk about the failed agency I had. And, you know, that was like really great, you know, in getting me to that position to where I was actually able to start teaching at the same college I graduated from and teaching design there. Can I just pick up on something you said there? So what I've noticed in the no-code space is that sometimes people jump into using the tools because they are so easily accessible, but actually they don't have the fundamentals. And I'm speaking personally, I'm not taking shots at anyone. You know, this mm-hmm. is me as well. Like there are fundamental things that I am learning that frankly, I probably should know as someone that is making websites on the internet from design, like line spacing, basics in marketing, like, you know, mm-hmm. headers, you know, H1s, H2s. 
basics in code, like what important means when it's written in the code and how that affects, etc. So it's interesting that you are teaching a class about web design and no code tools in the space. Mm -hmm. But can you give us a little flavor of kind of how the fundamentals collide with, you know, the new, very, very accessible tech, which may not actually be fully understood by people that are just starting out. So I'll just use my class syllabus that I teach to sort of like explain this because I think this describes exactly what you're talking about is obviously the the goal, the class is web for designers and the goal is actually to make designers less scared of making stuff on the web because what we've no, what we noticed you know you know throughout my time as a student and what some of the professors that were really interested in students noticed was that design students were very very scared of code and it's like well there's already all this no code platforms like webflow shopify softly you know the list goes on framer and whatnot how can we integrate that into like you know the school system that way designers are actually not scared of code but first off the most important thing, like you said, is understanding the fundamentals. So even before like, I take my students or th before the syllabus takes the students through even getting into Shopify or using no-code tools, we make sure that they understand the fundamentals of HTML, CSS, and you know what the H H proper HTML structure looks like, what are headers and whatnot. Because yeah, it's super fun to just dive straight into a tool like Webflow in this case and you know, start pushing stuff around dragging in a div blog, driving in an app, driving in this, dragging in that, driving. But it's like, if you really don't know what you're doing, then you just honestly see that you end up with a beautiful mess. But if you understand like the key fundamentals behind HTML structures and CSS, then you're way better off. Because if you, if we really think about it, Webflow is literally a visual code builder, right? Instead of me grabbing my computer and starting a project from scratch on Microsoft Visual Studio or any other text editor, Webflow helps me get all of those, you know, boilerplate stuff done and then a hundred times the speed, right? So if you really understand the fundamentals, then it's really going to play your advantage, most especially once you even want to start doing more custom stuff. Like, for example, using external JavaScript libraries, understanding what attributes mean and how to use attributes or, you know, doing some GSAP or even if it's even in the case of using something like Webflow, Xano, and Wizd, which I've been having some fun around playing with those platforms as well. And, you know, there might be some projects that's going to come out. Not going to say too much about that on that. <laughs> but, you know, if you really understand those core fundamentals, then it really just helps you in the long term. Definitely. I feel like I've come at it the wrong way around, though. I, I was, I'll describe it as gilding turds. Um, you know, I was trying to make something... Um, look really cool but actually it was a complete mess under the hood type thing um slash it didn't even look nice on like mobile landscape or like you know there was like breakpoints where it just didn't look good but on my mm -hmm. on my little laptop screen it looked great and then i put it out there to the world and it was just terrible so you know for anyone that's maybe in that position as well you say learn the fundamentals what key fundamentals do you think people really need to know about and where can they get some help with those? Honestly, I think W3 schools is probably all you would ever need, to be honest. Like just to understand the basics of HTML and CSS. And I would know I like I wouldn't specifically say anything is more important than any because I feel like any HTML structure 
that you have or you know any html attributes or any css stuff as well i feel like they're all equally important because at some point you're going to need them all and literally just going through like w3 schools for example i don't think there's anything specific on like html and css that i think is very very important but it's like just understanding everything in general and most especially for html i just think structure is what matters it's just it's i still think html is fairly simple so there's nothing too crazy that i think is not easily understandable or maybe i'm wrong I feel like we've got a real good sense of who you are and what your values are and stuff. But that that's all nice, but we're not here for nice. We want to get into the failures now. So let's get in the gritty stuff. Let's, let's do it. Let's get in the, the grit. <laughs> the grit, exactly. Let's get that grit in the oyster. Okay, so tell me about failure number one. Starting an agency while in mm-hmm. college without understanding what it meant and its implications. Whew. I think this this is really one that I think is always going to be a highlight in my life, in my career, because it was a defining moment, right? I was already in, in college. And while in college, I started using Webflow through my one of my senior project. And my Webflow work was really great because we usually have an exhibition right? So for senior project, we usually have an exhibition where they invite local businesses, local startups to sort of like see what the students worked on. And, you know, a lot of companies and people who saw my work and I started making connections, taking business cards, calling people. And I started getting projects on the side. So I'm like, well, since I'm already getting project on the side, I might as well just set up an LLC. And then from setting up an LLC, I might as well, I might as well get an office. And then there was a classmate of mine that I felt like at that point, we add an alignment, but I was probably, it was, it was still great at the start, but I was probably short-sighted and not thinking long-term, right? So we just said, all right, we're going to come together and actually run this as an agency. So we got an office, we had to pay insurance, we had to pay rent, we had to do all of this. So we just jumped straight into the fire without really understanding what it means to be an agency, right? We thought we were, we were getting projects, we were doing client work, but at the same time, we're losing tons and tons of money based off overhead cost, based off not understanding how to budget right, based off not charging right as well. And based off even just doing literally everything and anything people asked of us. I don't want to say it was a bad experience. I feel like it was a good learning experience, but I don't think I really understood what running a business meant like taxes, having an accountant, like there's like so many parts and pieces, insurance and you know, do I put people on W9? Do I put people on W10? All that stuff that I just had zero clue about. And we started losing claim. We started losing more money. And we we're losing all that money and all the overhead costs we had. We couldn't afford it. So the, the, the only next plan was, was to close down. And then that honestly made the relationship with my partner even more still. Because now money became an issue is, well, I'm sitting there like, well, I've got to use the rest of the money in the bank account to pay the rent and pay off the insurance. But it's like, well, you've got to get paycheck out. Like we agreed on every 15th and 30th. So it's like, it was, it just went crazy. And yeah, I don't want to say that word, but it just went crazy. And we just had to close shop and, you know, just decide to close it down in pathways. But I still kept the LLC, which is sort of, I sort of use now as an independent designer. I think that's my whole spill on how that experience went. And I still think even if it was not the best, I think it's a very, very defining moment in my life because now I've taken lessons that I've learned from that and I implement it now in my day-to-day life and engagements that I get. Okay, I think we need to breathe after that, don't we? 
We need to. I think I was really passionate about talking about that. Yeah, I mean, you went in. Okay, so can I just ask, if you were to go back in time when you were first starting this LLC, what would you tell Carter, who was about to start an LLC at that point, if you were to give him some advice now? I would tell Carter, first off, starting an LLC is great for tax reasons, great for protecting you, but I should just, I think I should have still just kept on just being sort of like a freelancer instead of just jumping in into starting a company. Honestly, I could have still started a company and work from my home and not have to have all the overhead costs. I could have started a company and 1099 everybody when I needed to. I could have done all of that stuff, but I just jumped straight into like, I think I liked and enjoyed the idea of ever company, right? That, that, that literally went over my head. Like, and if I was to go back and give myself advice, it's going to be, You've got to pay your dues first before you get to that point. And I didn't pay my dues yet. Mm, okay. So it sounds like the advice is make sure that you're doing the fundamentals well and you know what your process is as a freelancer first. So mm-hmm. that maybe you've got a really, really clear roadmap of how to get clients, how to handle clients, and how to basically you know, know your system well enough so that you can systematize that so that if you were to hire someone, if you did want to go down that route, you Mm -hmm. could have done. And also the other big one is you don't need a physical office to have a company, right? That sounds like a huge, a huge learning. There's a guy called uh, Yaya on Twitter. You might've seen him around. And we did an episode where he said a very, very similar thing. Do you think there's this idea of what a company is where you wear a suit and you go to an office and you're your own boss, but actually it's just complete fallacy or kind of how would, how would you look at it now? I think it really depends on what you're doing or what your niche of what you're doing is. Cause obviously if you're a lawyer or you, you know, you're a legal practitioner or something of that sort, right. Then that kind of like fits into that category of having an office and wearing a suit and, you know, having a, a meeting room where clients can come in and you've got all of that. But I think as creatives, we really don't need that much. So I think like, you know, the, the ideology of you've got to set up an office, you've got to do all of that stuff, mostly as a creative really is not needed. But I think if you're creative, that's scaling, that's starting a, an agency or a, a studio proper, and you maybe want to have maybe more collaborative sessions, then yes, it, it is nice to sort of maybe have a space and sort of like, you know, have a design, designated office and all that sort of stuff. That way there's more collaboration and you have, you've got a process in place. Can I just dig into your initial motivation to set up an agency and then now being a freelancer because i think there's a lot of uh, conversations about i want to set up an agency i want to grow a million dollar agency in fact i had a conversation the other day about someone was like i want to grow a million dollar agency a million dollars is just an arbitrary number like it's why why a million like what is that is once you hit a million are you going to be happy like what what are you trying to achieve (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of rambling here but what is your experience having tried to grow an agency versus now being a solo freelancer and what your metric for success now is? I think more the bigger difference was it, it's been easier for me to build off my personal brand and with me being like sort of like an independent freelancer designer, you know, compared to like wanting to run an agency. And there's this sort of feeling people have when they are agency. 
And almost like with my style of client and style of projects that I work, I don't think people really enjoyed like that agency term because it didn't felt like, well, there's all this bureaucracy in politics and all this overhead costs and all this other stuff that then plays into how I get treated. And people feel like clients might sometimes feel like there may be sometimes a number. Whereas if you're running an agency as well, you might feel like you've got benefit over a freelancer because they feel like you've got all the expertise and the people you can pull in. But for me, it just wasn't working. It just wasn't clicking at that point. And me being the personal brand has kind of like helped. And I think this was one of the conversations I had on a live Twitter space session with Chris Stowe. A lot of you guys in the creative space might know Chris Stowe, where I was kind of like, you know, asking him a question about kind of like what I'm doing. And I think that that, that advice he gave that day definitely helped with me getting clarification on, well, if you're doing all of this stuff, trying to run a business, trying to run an agency, it's not working out. But as a freelance creative you're doing fine yourself less overhead cost you get to work with even other agencies as well which is one of the things you kind of like mentioned and whatnot instead of competing with them you're then partnering up with other agencies bigger agencies and whatnot i think that was kind of like the eye opener to me was like all right maybe i might just pivot a bit and do this other thing instead that makes a lot of sense because i think one sometimes clients want to work with a solo freelancer because they know that they're not going to get messed around. Like there's one person kind of who they're dealing with and who actually mm-hmm. does the work, but also does the communication. And they're not just another number because a solo freelancer won't have so many clients necessarily. But then also that other thing you said that the fact that you're a solo freelancer doesn't mean that you can't do bigger projects. You may partner with other designers mm-hmm. like Joseph Berry, for example, who I know you've worked with, or you might partner with an agency and do the design or whatever for for agency work. So I think that's something that's really worth saying. Like just because you are a freelancer doesn't mean, you know, you're just sitting in your room mm-hmm. on your laptop, just working on your own stuff the whole time necessarily. You might actually be part of a bigger team, even if you are a freelancer sometimes. Tell me about failure number two then. Closing shop on the agency because things didn't work out with your previous partner and immediately jumped into another relationship to start another agency which crumbled before it started. Carter, what the hell? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it's me or I just found people that just wanted to get burned by me or I, I don't know what it was. But it was, you know, that sort of like happened and I met with this other dude that as he's he's a seasoned marketer like he's been doing this for about 15 20 years and he sort of like approached me saying well i know you already close shop with this but me myself i'm sort of like doing this solo and i think if we maybe join heads together then we could maybe be more of a powerhouse to where since i'm really focused on like core marketing stuff and making ads and doing marketing campaigns and doing getting people to record a video and do photo shoots eat that's sort of like what he did whereas i was sort of like the designer that could do branding and do some website and do some fun stuff it's like well let's come together and be a powerhouse just like in a regular relationship you've got to date someone right you've got to take them out on a date take them to a nice dinner you know go out for a few dates you just don't agree to be like all right it's going to be boyfriend girlfriend property today or i'm putting the ring on the same day i meet you right that was almost what i did was I'm like, oh, okay, this other guy is not working out. This other guy is right here, you know, promising me all these things and it's all going to work out great. And I'm like, sweet, let's get it. 
we did set up an LLC. We did set up a business bank account and whatnot. But what's funny is we closed all of that down even before any like money or even worked with any client because we sort of then realized like in between the process of setting up setting up all of this stuff, we were just bumping heads and the relationship wasn't working like we wanted it to work, right? So we just both like, you know, agreed that, you know, I think it's going to be best people individually do our stuff because yeah, it does seem great that we can work together and whatnot but in reality we think there's going to be a lot of problems right so i think maybe this is me maybe even learning from the previous experience a little bit and saying well there's already some red flags there's already some signs and i don't think this is really going to be beneficial but we had jumped all of those and already set up an LLC setup all this stuff are fun to set up but i think you need to be like a little bit further down the road before you go ahead and try to set up all of that stuff that way you're not maybe wasting money wasting resources wasting time doing all of that so that was literally the experience was we jumped ship, went straight into the marriage. And then it's like getting divorced the same day you marry saying, what? you said something about that. And I don't like your take on that. So I'm going to get a divorce. And that was literally how it happened. You talked about red flags there. So for someone that maybe is in conversation with another freelancer and they're like, let's set up an agency and they have this strange gut feeling that something's not right, but maybe they can't identify what that what that's coming from. What red mm-hmm. flags did you learn from getting burnt the first time that you maybe identified as you were setting up this second agency? I think communication was one for sure. And I would maybe say this would maybe was maybe on both sides, but maybe on my side was maybe I was a poor communicator of expectations and i really didn't fully understand the expectations of the other person because what then happened was a lot of the work and all of the setting up ended up just all on me so i felt like the other person was not really doing anything while i was doing all the work so i think i really didn't communicate the expectations that i wanted this was one of the things that i think you should watch out for is making sure that you guys are able to communicate in a very easy manner and everyone's on the same page at all times skill gap as well is included as well is you've got to make sure that you understand the skills expertise of this person you you know you might want to be possibly working with because i got into a relationship thinking well this person can do this and do that and then in the middle of it i come out and find out even if they've been doing this for years they've only been outsourcing it to all these other people and they really couldn't do it so when it came down to really doing it we started having issues as well so it was like you know understand the skill gap watch out for all of this stuff and make sure like they really, really know what they're talking about. And then money as well is a very, very big issue is who spends what, who gets, who gets what, who owns what percentage, who owns what, you know, all of this stuff has to be like really, really talked about. And this is not an agency or any company you setting up, right? Who spends what, who's bringing in what money at the setup, because obviously you can't use $0 to set up an agency or a company, right? There's going to be some upfront costs, right? And it's like, well, who's bringing in what? And because this person is bringing in what, does this person own a certain percentage or does this person get reimbursed once you get some profit? And at what point did it get reimbursed? And, you know, I think this are all conversations that you just really got to be very, very open about. See if it's something you could deal with or something you can change. This feels like i'm talking to a relationship coach a lot of the stuff you're saying sounds very very similar to you know romantic partner right and there's a reason for that because you're doing something that's really really hard to do over a long 
period of time and you need to have open communication receive feedback and give constructive criticism and then there's also the mm-hmm. money talk which you know is is a is a big one that some people want to talk about some people don't want to know about but ultimately you both care about and it's kind of like something that i think might be helpful to bring up right now is the book crucial conversations have you ever read that book hmm. i actually haven't read that book i've been so bad in reading books this year i used to be a better reader and me i gotta get back into it but i'll definitely okay. take that down this- and and look it up this is the book that I really, really recommend. It's quite a popular book that really, really helped me communicate. And then uh, Never Split the Difference is another really, really good book. If you're not so much a reader, Audible, mm-hmm. all of that jazz, great. Mm-hmm. Really, really recommend it. Basically, change confrontation into constructive conversation. Tell me about failure number three. Not quickly understanding how to balance an unhealthy work-life relationship and putting relationships in jeopardy as a result. I think this came with um, me switching to being an independent, you know, freelancer, designer, whichever term we, we want to use in here was, you know, I started picking up traction, getting a lot much work, a lot much client work. And, you know, things actually started moving the direction I wanted them to go. So it's like, whoa, this is all I've been praying for. Now it's finally here. I'm going to make sure I pay my dues and spend every minute, every hour, every second working and doing the work I've been asking for. So that was sort of like my mindset. And I kind of like went down this deep rabbit hole. You know, more work started coming for me that all I cared about was work. I stopped working out as much. I stopped spending time with my girlfriend as much. I stopped calling my mom as much. More family time, less less family time, less time with my homies going out to the bar, having a beer. Like I stopped really doing all of this because I was so much in the hustle culture mindset saying, I'm just going to grind, 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 and grind, right? And this was good for a short amount of period, right? Work was getting done. All of this stuff was getting done. But then I slowly realizing that while I was already putting, you know, relationships in jeopardy, I wasn't calling my mom as much. You know, she didn't really know about what was going on with me. My girlfriend, you know, started telling me, well, Carter, you're not spending as much time. We're not doing as much stuff together. And this is affecting our relationship. My friends were like, dude, we never see you at all. Like, you're always indoors. So, like, you know, there's all these different comments, you know, coming from all these people. And then I slowly realized, well, there's going to be sort of a balance in between working, being a grinder, you know, being motivated, wanting to get stuff done, and then really balancing relationship. And I think if you maybe work from home as a freelancer as well, it's very, very easy for work to feed it into your personal time that you spend outside of work. That happens to me 100% of the time. And I think that was like one thing that really, really hurt a lot, a lot of relationships, relationships I had was not, you know, paying attention to them. And the only thing I cared about was work. Hurt a lot of relationships. And at that point, when I realized it was some sort of like eye opener to me, and then I started consulting with some mentors that I had, I know people out there in entrepreneurial space, you know, asking questions like, well, how do you balance, you know, being in a, in a relationship, in a relationship and having to work, how do you balance this and that, you know, and I started, you know, seeking for help and, you know, I've, you know, finally got help and sort of like figured it out that yes, you can do all of this stuff and still work as hard, but at the same time, you've got to set boundaries because there's more to life 
than just work. There's more to life than pushing pixels and making a website. Like, you know, it's fun and exciting to be working on a project, doing something new. But at the same time, you've got to make sure you've got, you know, a healthy life balance because that's going to make you happy. It's going to give you like happiness long term compared to just going down that rabbit hole. And all you care about is work is you've got to find that right balance in between work, eating healthy, having a good workout, going on a date with your you know significant other, spending time with family and friends. Most especially if you're a freelancer and you work from the house, it's hard. And so what sacri- uh, sorry, what boundaries have you set for yourself now that you didn't have before? So what boundaries I've set was I'm very unorganized. And this was kind of like my girlfriend being the therapist in this case and saying, all right, you're unorganized, Carter. So we're going to say, what's your schedule looking like for all the weeks? What days do you absolutely need to have meetings? What days do you absolutely have to be at the house, which is the days I have to teach? And then I kind of like set up my schedule for that. So days I teach, Monday, Wednesdays, Monday, Wednesdays, I'm most likely not going to do a lot of client work. And everyone I'm working with, clients, partners, agencies, everyone's all aware that Monday, Wednesdays. I'm all gone. So Monday, Wednesdays are more time where I can go ahead and teach. And then Monday, Wednesdays, I can use those days to spend more time with family, friends and whatnot. And then even the days that I do work all day from the house, Tuesdays, Tuesday, Thursday, Fridays, maybe Saturdays, right? I try to wake up as early as 8 a.m., 9 a.m. to start work done. And then right around five or six, I shut it all off. Computers off, laptops off, phone is on DND and just like, put it all away, no matter what. And I get back to it the next day, just because I work in the house. And it's very hard to like disconnect because my room is literally in the, in the, you know, on the other side of the wall, right? So it's very, very hard. So it's just setting that boundary saying, no matter what, once it's those days that I usually work, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, once it's six or it hits that period, I just put whatever it is away, go spend time with my friends, play some Call of Duty, go on a date with my girlfriend, call my mom. And I don't have to worry about work past, you know, that hour. I think it's very important to have that. It sounds really healthy. I had a similar conversation that was really formative where my friend said to me, because I was going to meet him in a bar and he was like, cool, let's meet here. And I was like, oh, sorry, I actually need to keep working. And he's just like, is your client still working now, Jack? And it really (laughs) helped me kind of switch my head because I was like, wait, the boss of the company isn't, they're not working now. Like, and they're not going to get back to me. You know, I need to send the, send this boss stuff and whatever. And he was just like, just come and have a beer, you idiot. And it really, really helped me. And sometimes it's really hard to see that as a freelancer. I know that sounds so obvious, but I think sometimes as a freelancer, you don't actually see how kind of blinkered you are because you're just like, I've just got to get this done. But it's like, it can wait. You can do it tomorrow morning. Like it's not, you right. don't need to just get it done necessarily. <laughs> and people are far more forgiving than you think. Because I think as a freelancer, you're like, the customer's always right kind of thing. You're just like, I'm just going to mm-hmm. keep, I, I, I want to get this done. I want to impress whatever. And and actually, if you send a message saying, hey, I know I said I'd get this done by today, but um, it's actually taken longer than I thought. And I'm going to send you a message at, you know, before midday tomorrow, whatever it is. If you give mm-hmm. some kind of specific reason for not getting it done, times, I will get it done. I will get this to you by X or whatever. The client's normally like, yeah, sure. And you're like, oh, my God, I can go and have a beer. 
And it's really not as big a deal as you think it is in your head sometimes. Right. I think that's what I realized is as far as you're very responsible in communicating that, then most times people are not just pricks, right? People are not just people just don't decide to be mean and be like, oh, it, it's 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 a day late and I'm going to say this thing about you and call you bad names and, and whatnot, right? I think like we're humans, we're, you know, there's a lot of decent humans out here and people are very understanding that. You don't have to kill yourself and work extra five, six hours the previous night when you could just, you know, wake up the next day, fresh mindset and still get it done. Right. So I think that's something, you know, freelancers, we got to like snap out of and just realize like, you know, sometimes just cool off and get it done the next day. And obviously, if you if you plan right as well and schedule your times and projects properly, I don't think you have too many problems dealing with that. Yeah, I think the uh, the other thing that comes to mind as you said that is that if you go to a co-working space or somewhere like that, that has a closing time at 5 p.m., if you, like, get out of your house and go to a physical location, which shuts like a normal job would have, Mm -hmm. then you close that workday when everyone else closes that workday. Co-working spaces are absolutely a go, most especially if you've got, like, family in the mix. That way, work and family and relationships just don't get mixed together. Like you said, co-working space, you go in at 8, 9 a.m. in the morning, at 5, 4, whatever it is, you shut it, and you're done for that day. I think there's a lot of benefit in that for sure. Carter, are you ready for your final question? I'm ready. Let's get it. Let's rumble. Okay, what is your next failure going to be? My next failure. Ooh, that 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 is there is a twist around that one. That's very very interesting. Because now it's sort of like me t- being taken aback and sort of like looking into the future and seeing like, well, what's really the next failure going to be? I think the next failure that I think I might you know approach is probably maybe scaling too fast. As far as maybe my sort of like ideology of wanting to maybe run a collaborative studio, I think maybe scaling too fast and not really understanding like the pro out to like really not really establishing a good relationship with every other freelancer or creative I'm working with to understand that, all right, I feel really, really comfortable with this people and scaling and then just going ahead and, you know, just running with it and scaling too fast. And then a client gets burned in the process. I think that's something that I'm definitely going to be very, very watchful and careful about. I'm very excited that I'm actually starting to grow as a designer in the industry. Like I am actually been involved in a lot more projects. After a lot much people, you know, reach out to me and wanted to collaborate and whatnot. But it's like with all of this stuff, right? With great power comes great responsibility as well. And I think just making sure I scale in a very, you know, linear motion. It, it's not too fast at the right pace. Because you scale too fast, you crash. Thanks so much for listening to episode 33 of Webflow with Carter Ogunsola. And thanks to Carter for coming on Webflow. It takes a lot of courage to speak as candidly as Carter did during this episode. Despite flying high in his thriving creative career, it's interesting to learn in the past how hard he failed when he was, for example, setting up his first agency, OG Creative. What struck me about this episode was learning from this failure. He mentions that the traditional agency model of an office with full-time employees didn't serve his purpose and that he wants to collaborate as a solo freelancer with a group of other talented freelancers from now on. And I think this resonates with a lot of web flowers. 
you can still win larger projects as a team with collaborations, but work together only if necessary and take on other freelance projects in the meantime. I think this is an important takeaway for us to think about because so many freelancers say, I want to set up an agency and it's like, you know, there's, it's not like you're either a freelancer or an agency. You can, you can work with other freelancers in a kind of collaborative manner, um, which is important to consider, I think. Next week's episode, for episode 34, I'll be interviewing Diego Toda de Oliveira. Very excited to interview him, big man in the flow party, 3D and motion guy. There'll be lots of nuggets dropped in that episode. In the meantime, have a great week, web flayers.